Hi, and welcome to Steve Wraith's True Crime Podcast. You can also follow my podcasts on YouTube. Just search Steve Wraith and click subscribe. Hi, welcome along to Steve Wraith's podcast. And today I've got a special guest, a good friend of mine, Andy Scott from London. How are you, Andy? I'm very well, very well, Steve. Nice to see you. Yeah, and you, mate. And, um, you know, you, we, we met uh, down in London. You, you were good enough to come to my boot launch down there at uh, the Punch Bowl. Yeah, down at the Punch Bowl, yeah. Down in Mayfair. And uh, it was great to meet you. I came down with Jez, who's a good pal of mine. And you're the author of um, Tales of a Page, a London's lovable villain. You're involved in PR, um, yeah. London taxi PR. You've been a Chelsea fan for over 50 years. And you've done books, yeah. music, film, books. Uh, amazing life you've led me and um well, let's you. go back let's go back to the start um sure tell us a little yep. bit about you know who you are where you were born and and just your upbringing yeah sure well i was born and brought up in um barnes southwest london uh so just over the river from hammersmith bridge which is where great uncle chick was from all the family uh on my mum's side are all from barnes and Maltlake, so we're all sort of dotted around that area. That was where I, I grew up. That was my, my stomping ground. Um, yeah, I, I went to school there, um, went to college there. Uh, my first job was in the print. Um, I was a print apprentice, literally five minutes away uh, from where I lived in Barnes. Um, so I, I, I started out in, in print. I was in that for a good 14 years, um, worked in London, then went to uh, Birmingham, worked in Manchester, uh, Liverpool, all around, travelling around. Uh, some pretty interesting times because it was the, the late 80s, early, early 90s, so there was a lot of stuff happening around Manchester and Liverpool, in particular with the music scene. Um, became very good friends with a guy called Peter Hewton from The Farm, um, got into the casual side with with the football. Uh, started. I'd I'd been born into Chelsea, if you like. When we won the FA Cup in 1970, my dad went out the next day and bought me the Chelsea kit, and my <laughs> mum sewed a big number nine on the back. So that was it. Peter Osgood was my hero, and uh, and Chelsea was my team from from the age of five years old. So I I started I'd started going to football. Um, probably from about the age of eight or nine uh, and then was being taken every other week for uh, Chelsea were playing at home one week and then Fulham would play at home the next. So my uncles who, who were Fulham supporters, unfortunately, would, would drag me along to Fulham uh, and then the next week I'd be saying, well, we've got to go back to Chelsea. We've got to go back there. We've got to go back and see the, see the Blues. So... I, I become immersed in uh, in football. Like I say, the casual thing was was a big thing uh, with me. Got to know uh, some really good guys through that who stayed with me like throughout the years. You know, long long term friendships, etc. Um, yeah, but I stayed in the print um, probably till uh, mid nineties. Uh, got heavily involved in the music scene in Birmingham and started working for a music promoter. Um, sort of part-time, you know, just the evenings and whatever, doing music promotion for him. Uh, there was a guy called Dave Travis. 
Uh, he was putting on bands in Moseley and King's Heath and some of the big gigs at Wolverhampton and Birmingham Town Hall, etc. So the really early days of the likes of Oasis, uh, Ocean Colour Scene, uh, when those guys were kicking off, was fortunate, fortunate enough to see Oasis when they were a support band, uh, Ocean Colour Scene when there's about 10 guys uh, in the audience uh, just watching them. So, uh, and I then sort of thought, well, right, I, I was... I was doing music promotion and putting stuff out to the local paper um, and the Birmingham Post and Mail. Dave, Dave wanted stuff in the Birmingham Post and Mail. So I just kept on bombarding him. And what I'd do is I'd go along to a gig. He'd put me on the gig list, uh, you know, on the, on, the, on the guest list rather. I'd send in a report the next day to the, to the Birmingham Post and Mail and say, look, you know, um, this is what Dave's put on. This is a report of the gig. This is a review of it. Uh, I got a call one day uh, from the, the music reporter there. He said, look, he said, with all the best will in the world, he said, I love what you do. He said, it's really good stuff. He said, but unfortunately, I can't use it. Uh, but he said, I want you to work freelance for me. Um, and that sort of got me onto the writing side. And I thought, ah, maybe there's a, a career here to be made. Um, when I was training in the print, um, I'd learned touch typing so i become a, a typesetter i'm i'm old enough that i i learned to type on a hot metal machine which is going back a good few years now so i've come all the way from hot metal right the way through to uh, modern technology yeah um so so i knew what i was doing with regards to um you know being able to use a keyboard and and sending stuff in etc but he he then would pop gig tickets through my door um, and like I say, around that time, around the, the, the 90s, obviously you've got uh, bands like the Blue Tones, uh, all, all the sort of Britpop, you know, Blur and everything, um, Pulp, they're all kicking around in the, in the early days, Sleeper, you know, people like that, Aston Villa Leisure Centre. So I was going out and I'm seeing these bands for free. Yeah. Uh, and all I've got to do is just do a report on the gig uh, for the next day uh, for the paper. And then my name, before I'm like an accredited journalist, my name's in the print already, which was absolutely superb. And then I thought, well, I've really got to make a career out of this, you know. So I looked into it. Um, and strangely enough, when I've been in the print and working down in London, a guy that I'd worked with who was the editor. Uh, of a magazine was actually running a journalism course um, so I got in touch with him and he said yeah he said yeah, you've got to sit in the exam you've got to fund yourself you know support yourself it's a year-long course and whatever and you've got to sort out some work experience um, so I did that and I was lucky enough passed the uh, passed the exam got some money together um, funded myself got freelance work at the at the BBC was lucky enough to work on match of the day magazine uh, which is absolutely superb um, worked on the sports program on uh, breakfast TV as well booking guests in the in the morning um, so all of that was good so uh, after after college I just had to get myself a full-time job and the first job I got was working for a, a paper industry magazine and through that I got to travel all, all over the world. Uh, I then got headhunted by Haymarket magazines for one of their industry titles. Uh, again, 
continued to travel all, all over. And I, I was a journalist for a good best part of 10 years. Um, I also freelanced for Chelsea magazine as well. And the best part of that was uh, I was doing stuff for guys called Teamwork Sports Agency. Um, a guy called Jerry Cox is a well-known reporter now. Funny enough, we, we've been in touch about the forthcoming book as well. Um, so I, I was doing stuff for them and they sent me out one of the jobs, uh, paid, paid freelance jobs, which I'd have done for free anyway, uh, was to write Peter Os ghostwrite Peter Osgood's column every month for the Chelsea magazine. Now that was yeah. a dream come true. So I'd have a good hour and a half conversation. Ozzy had come off the golf course or wherever he'd been out, and he'd just he'd just go, right, what are we going to talk about this month, Andy? So I'd say, well, whoever, you know, you, you pick like a player, and so he'd ramble on about Sponge, Tommy Baldwin, or Hutch in, in Hutchinson, whoever he chose to talk about. And that was bliss. That, that was great. Um, so that was a, that was a, a, a real dream dream job, and that was running alongside the full the full time work. Um, and I stayed in in journalism, like I say, for ten years, and then branched out on on my own to do uh, PR. And I've been doing that since um, two thousand and six. So for fourteen years now, and that's been that's been going well. And um, during that time, Dad. Uh, sadly uh, got taken ill with, with with cancer and we had to make some some harsh decisions really as to what he wanted to do because obviously he, he was suffering quite a bit um, but I said to him you know do, do you want to travel do you want to do this or that and he, he wasn't really up to anything but I, I'd always remembered whenever we sat down to watch a film or whatever um, he'd go oh I met that guy um, or I met such and such when I was working at the Dorchester. And I said, look, it'd be, be fantastic because we often used to talk about my late nan as well, who had some great tales, God bless her. And uh, I said, look, we, we said, you know, sadly when she passed away, wouldn't it be great to sit her down and, uh, you know, have, have got her on tape to talk. So I said, look, if you're up to it, you know, in between, you know, when you've got to go for chemo or what, you know, I'll set the tape going and um, we'll record your memories. And he said, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Love that idea. So in lucid moments, we just started off and, and off he'd go and tell the, the first part of the, the tales that form the, the first book, Tales of a Page. And um, yeah, we, we was lucky enough. He was, he was well enough to, I got him a, uh, a visit back to the Dorchester. Uh, bear in mind, he, he last sort of set foot in there as an employee back in 1955 when he when he, he finished there. Uh, so there was obviously a few changes, but they they treated him magnificently, and we went behind the scenes. You know, looked at all the changes that have been made because now the, there weren't stairs coming up from the kitchen. There was an elevator and an escalator and whatever, which obviously made. The, uh, the pages and the waiter's job was a, a, a lot easier. Um, but yeah, he absolutely loved it. And the Dorchester were fabulous because they said, look, when you do the book, let us know. Um, and because obviously around, around that time, uh, very little photography was taken, obviously, of the, of the pages. Dad didn't have a camera to, to take sort of pictures of himself or whatever. So they said, we'll, we'll sort you out with a, an image library. 
which bless them, they, they were absolutely superb with. So I had my own private image library to be able to utilize uh, to be published in, in the book, which is where a lot of the images um, come from that you see in the book that are like behind the scenes with the uh, designer Oliver Messel. Um, the picture on the front cover from the coronation inside as well. Uh, all of those have very kindly uh, been supplied by the Dorchester and there's enough left over for the, uh, for the second book. Um, great Uncle Cheek, uh, who's sitting very proudly behind your good self there. Um, he was introduced in that book because himself and a fellow wrestler uh, came and paid dad a visit at the Dorchester. Um, they came there after Chick had had a, a, a win on the horses or whatever, or one of his fights. So they came all tuxedoed up, the pair of them, looking like, bear in mind, this is sort of mid-50s, uh, and Chick is 19 stone, 21-inch neck, looks like a real all-in-all -all villain, you know. Uh, he's coming in with a heavy guy uh almost probably a bit thick set uh than him they both sit down and i don't think the major d's or the waiters knew what to make of it they probably thought it was all going to kick off in the place so i think whatever they wanted they got um <laughs> and uh they they made a great fuss of them at the at the time i think chicks parting words uh, when they left were Oh, it's a great place here. We'll have to come back again. I think that put the fear of God in them because they thought, oh, no, they're going to come back, you know. But, um, yeah, so that kick-started um, really the research into into Chick uh, because, like I say, he'd been such a, an interesting character in the family. There was a lot of, there was a lot of stories, and you, you, you probably know yourself, in families, there's always sort of tales about you know, one character in the family who supposedly did this or did that, and somebody's always going to going to say, "Oh, yeah, but he was a bit he was a bit of a lad," and that's no, he he probably didn't do that. He probably did something else or whatever. So several of the the, the sort of rumours around Chick, um, and how how he falls into places. He's he's my uh, my gran my my dad's mum's brother um so that's the that's the, the family connection and so there was two there was two significant things and there were several but the two that stand out was one that there was a, a rescue on hammers in the thames at hammersmith that chick had dived off hammersmith bridge yeah uh, 1930 and saved two people from drowning and uh, his daughter Iris, my, my cousin, she said, oh, knowing dad, she said he was probably drunk, probably come, coming back from the pubs that he used to drink in Hammersmith. And she said, probably what happened is the coppers were coming over the other way and he probably thought, oh, God, I'm going to get arrested. So he jumped in the river, you know, and, and that was it. Anyway, digging around, we actually found uh, a certificate that basically clarifies it's from the royal humane society um and that documents the incident uh i got in touch with the royal humane society and a lovely guy there uh, did some research for me 
and found the actual records uh, of the incident. So we got the actual transcripts of, of what happened. So, uh, so basically, we were able to prove and clarify that that incident actually happened, that Chick got recognised for it. Uh, that's what the current petition that's going at the moment to get Chick recognition for it some 90 years on is uh, is going alongside the, the you know the completion of the book at the moment and right. what happened was he was he was walking over Hammersmith Bridge with his brother Albie his younger brother Albie this is June 15th of June 1930 about half past three in the afternoon a young girl is in trouble in the water which is the first person he sees he says to his brother Albie um run back over the bridge they're sort of halfway between hammersmith and barnes um he says run back over get the police uh he says i'm going in he then sees that there's a gentleman also in the thames uh not far away from her who has gone in to rescue the try and rescue the girl himself and also got into trouble so chick jumps in off hammersmith bridge he brings out the young girl who's about nine, nine or ten years old and then goes back in and brings the gentleman out as well who's around about 35 years old. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked over Hammersmith Bridge, but if it, depending, depending what time of day you walk over, the side that we're talking about is, if you're coming from Hammersmith, it's on the right-hand side. So you're looking down the river down towards Barnes. Yeah. yeah. If you look directly over uh, the railings uh, around the sort of tower bits of the of the bridge, which are the, the support uh, sort of uh, bits, you'll see around those like whirlpools, and they're the current, uh, you know, the fast flowing current, and they create like little whirlpools and whatever. Now I've been able to find around the time of that incident what the tide was like uh what the tidal waters were were like fortunately chick obviously being the build that, that he is uh and being a very very strong swimmer uh is able to battle against that current yeah and do it not once but twice um so it's a tremendous feat um you know of of heroism not thinking of his his own self uh and it was just incredible so the fact that we were able to confirm that was actually brilliant but at the same time we had another rumor uh around that this wasn't the first time that he'd done it and when the guys at the royal humane society were going through they said there's another incident now, Chick's full name is Arthur Richard George Knight, so A.R.G. Knight. He said, we got a private A.R.G. Knight. He said, was Chick ever in the army? I said, yes, yes, he was. Chick was in the 1st Suffolk, 1st uh, Battalion Suffolk Regiment. Um, he signed up, we believe, around the, um, probably the very early 1920s. I'm still waiting for the service record to actually come through, but we know for a fact that he served out in Gibraltar, he served out in India, uh, he was in Delhi. Um, and so 1924 in Gibraltar, June again, this time very early June, uh, 
Catalan Bay. Now, Catalan Bay is again a very tidal uh, area and people have as recently as last year actually drowned in that area because of the, the tidal waters because how how strong they are. So chicks in the, in the battalion and they're in the bathing party they're actually all out relaxing and whatever. A fellow soldier uh, a private Durant gets into trouble he's about 300 meters out from shore uh, chick swims out gets him by this time Durant is actually unconscious brings him back to the shore performs CPR and resuscitates him so this is three lives he's saved Man. so chick is now a triple lifesaver and the governor of Gibraltar uh, came to the barracks and presented Chick with these other Royal Humane Society certificate. Now, obviously, embarking on the book, uh, those two incidents form separate chapters in the book. Uh, but whilst we were out in Tenerife uh, last year, a similar incident had happened in Gibraltar where tragically somebody had drowned, a British lawyer uh, had drowned. And I got in touch with the Gibraltar Chronicle um, and just said, look, I'm writing a book about my great uncle Chick. Um, he actually rescued somebody uh, out there in 1924 in exactly the same waters. Uh, so they got in touch and they did a big splash uh, on Chick. So the Gibraltar Chronicle, um, and we're talking, I'd say, you know, back in 1924 when he did this rescue. So roll forward 2019 and Chick makes the Gibraltar Chronicle documenting that whole incident and what, and what happened. And as a result of that, I took the paper up to Gibraltar House in London and said, look, I just wanted to inform you uh, that this this happened uh, that this has gone in um, is there anyone I can pass it on to just to make them aware you know maybe again look at getting some recognition for chick to uh, to say you know this is what happened this is the incident etc I get uh, an email come through from the councillor uh, in the UK who then gets in touch with the uh, mayor of Gibraltar who then gets in touch with me and says please put Chick up for a posthumous mayor of Gibraltar's life-saving award which Chick is now up for so all of that has sort of propelled the book into new sort of spheres where we're getting coverage uh, prior to obviously publication which has been superb um, guys that you will know uh, Jason and Brian from GHQ magazine uh, got in touch as well did a big interview with them the Daily Mail we had a piece in there uh, we've had some pieces in my West London and Hammersmith today newspapers I did an interview the other week with the Evening Standard so all of that has put Chick very much back in the spotlight for literally when 
when this book finishes, uh, when I've completed the, the writing and the researching, then hopefully, um, you know, we'll, we'll see it taken to a, a level that I, I want it to get to. Um, we've had people suggesting uh, a possible documentary and a possible film. And I very firmly believe that due to who Chick knew, who Chick mixed with, and obviously what Chick, uh, the exploits that he got up to both in and out of the ring, I feel there's definitely something there um, to be able to, to do a good job on it and maybe get that gentleman behind you up on the silver screen. Who knows? Um, because he's, he's been in films himself. Um, you know, part of his, part of his, uh, cause celebra, if you, if you like, was, um, obviously showbiz people were, were mixing around in all sorts of things back in the, the late thirties, early forties, when, when Chick was sort of at his height. Uh, and one of his, one of his good friends, uh, supposedly was Diana Dawes. Uh, now we've not been able to confirm this, but the story goes that, uh, when Diana got married to Dennis Hamilton at Westminster, um, that she used Chick's car. Uh, Chick had kindly lent, lent it to her. Um, he, we've got pictures of Chick backstage with uh, the likes of Joseph Locke coming to see him. Ben Warris, the comedian. Chick appears in several George Formby films. Uh, unfortunately, the studios, obviously, we're talking the likes of Gainsborough and Ealing and people like that, and Twickenham Studios. Some of those aren't around, but the people that are responsible for them now sadly haven't got an archive that we've been able to access. So, unfortunately, it's meant hours of traipsing through black and white films to try and spot possible appearances for, for Chick, which are... Uh, I think my good lady Linda has got fed up with, so just leaves me to it. But uh, no, Chick, is, there's at least a dozen films um, and we've got um, one of the main ones is Trouble Brewing with George Formby, where Chick plays himself. He plays a wrestler and there's a, there's a good segment where it's a talking part um, for Chick. He also uh, plays a stuntman in uh, The Wicked Lady, um, which is with Margaret Lockwood. And we're just sort of trying to gel all the bits together uh, to, you know, get the actual appearances all, all documented and do a good job on, on that section. Um, and one of his, one of his, uh, such an unlikely friendship because you sort of think, okay, Chick is a wrestler. So, you know, he's going to mix with fellow wrestlers. He's probably going to mix with a few sports personalities, you know boxers etc he actually turned pro boxer himself we we've now found out and i've got all of chick's fights from when he was a professional boxer also documented i've got all the newspaper clippings from that as well um and so you think okay who's he gonna know well the name that pops up that he's best mates with is none other than albert pierpoint britain's last hangman Right. And the two of them are like this. Yeah. There's a picture of, of them together. 
you know, Albert used to say, I'm coming down to see you, chick. I'm, I'm coming down. To, I've got to come down to London on business, right? Business being his profession. He's obviously coming down to perform an execution. So the two of them would get together. Now we found that the, the, the two, the common thing that binds them together is they both have a love of boxing. Albert was a tremendous boxing fan, so much so that after he retired from his profession as, as, the, as the hangman, if you like, um, he worked for the uh, Boxing Border Control. Um, I've managed to, to, to ascertain that. But the two had a great love of beer. Albert became a publican and good cigars. Now, obviously, the trademark pick of, of Chick has him with his, uh, his big stoogie. Uh, and the two of them, you know, formed a, 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 such an unlikely partnership. Um, apparently, Albert was, was very upset when, obviously, Chick passed away, sent a lovely letter of condolence. We used to send a Christmas card. We've actually obtained a copy of the, one of the Christmas cards that we found where Albert is behind the bar at his, uh, his pub that he owned in uh, Oldham, just outside of, of Manchester. Uh, and when Chick was, Chick fought regularly up in the north, um, one year in particular, I think there's about 28 occasions where he's got fights at the Bellevue in Manchester. So no doubt he would pop over and see his good friend Albert either share a, a good, good few pints and a few cigars or probably stay the night at the uh, at the pub with him so uh, yeah it's uh, and it's been so interesting just to put together the pieces of of i've referred to it when i put promotional stuff out as you might have seen steve um chick's colorful life which is exactly what it is uh because a lot of people who I've been in touch with from the wrestling community have said, this is great because there's never been anything written about Chick. Um, Chick was like one of the, obviously we're, we're talking when, when Chick started professional wrestling was 1932. So we're talking way before the likes of, you know, Mick McManus, your giant haystacks, your big daddy and all of the WWE and WWF that you see now. You know, Chick is all pre that. This is this is proper wrestling. You know, we got incidents from the cuttings and the reports on the fights where Chick comes out bloodied. On one occasion, he thinks he's broken his back, um, and, that, and just this is proper proper fighting. Yeah, this is proper wrestling. Um, so it, it's been fantastic to uh, to piece together all of the all of the fights as well because we got 26 years and chick being who he is not only fought under chick knight he fought under cocky knight uh he then fought under another name when he fought abroad um so when he was out the country he was known as uh, by an, an, another name and known as the russian bear um so that sort of made it not only difficult but interesting because every time this name pops up you right that's chick you know uh obviously he's done that for tax reasons or whatever we've got chick we've got a business card here this is uh 
Singapore's lovable villain. <laughs> Beer guzzling, cigar smoking cockney. <laughs> chick, chick cocky night. And he lives out in Singapore for a, for a year. Wow. Singapore's most lovable villain. So not only is he London's lovable villain, he's now Singapore's most lovable villain as well. Just uh, incredible. And, and he meets, you know, prime ministers when he's out there. He meets delegates. He does advertising. All of these different things uh, that, again, have, have been so interesting to uh, write about and find out about that sort of, People had known great Uncle Chick and just say, oh, I never knew he, he did all of this. Well, now they're going to have something that they can read about where they'll be able to see exactly what Chick got up to, you know, the sort of friendships that he, that he had, the tremendous life-saving incidents that he performed, the films that he starred in. And we've... We, fascinating it as i as i am with not only doing the research and writing i also quite a prolific reader obviously read, read your good book steve but one of the most recent ones that i've been reading which i've just completed is eddie richardson's book no handcuffs his last word on the craze now doing the research for the book there's an incident that we came across in the newspaper cuttings, um, which I'd initially thought was uh, the way it was referred to was uh, the gangbuster is back is the headline. And I thought, well, that's quite a bizarre headline. And obviously when you're doing the tapping in the, the stuff, you, the thing that crops up is obviously Chick's name. Um, so I start reading that and thinking, hold on a minute. what What is this all about? I knew that Chick had been a doorman um, after he retired from the ring, the late 50s, he went into door work. So he was effectively one of London's first doormen, one of the first bouncers, if you like. And one of the places that he worked, which, which we know about, was the Lyceum in, uh, in Covent Garden. And so this newspaper cutting refers to an incident outside a nightclub in Soho and it's it's all about chick I mean basically it's it's the most fantastic if you're a doorman it's the most fantastic piece of PR for your services you could ever imagine uh, because it details what happened outside this nightclub when eight hoods if you like and bear in mind, this is 1959. I've obviously come to uh, gather protection money or, or, you know, hassle for protection money or make a nuisance of themselves and whatever. And at the time, obviously, you've got knives and razors being used by the, you know, by the gangs, the, the guys that are mixing around. You've obviously got the likes of Billy Hill. Uh, you've got Rackman, who was the you know the notorious landlord in around, around who also owned clubs as well. You've got the craze sort of just starting on the the very low rungs of their career. Um, you've got the likes of Frankie Fraser; he's around at that time. Um, 
and so what happens is these four four of the guys so the the, the piece goes are laid out knocked out right by chick the other four are seen off by him so he sorted out eight guys so this piece basically details the whole incident from start to finish and what um what happened and apparently uh because obviously they were carrying knives and razors and whatever chick is left standing there in a suit that's actually torn to ribbons uh now the later pictures show chick with a scar on the left hand side of his face now we've not been able to ascertain as to how he got that it could possibly be from this incident we don't know getting back to eddie's book uh in piecing together obviously the unfortunate bit with the newspaper article was that the nightclub isn't named but we do know again from research that i've done that fellow wrestlers who chick fought and who chick mixed with were working in and around various soho nightclubs being employed like chick as doorman one of which was the Astor club and obviously quite a you know a, a well-known place yeah uh, and again you've got the name that pops up there is Billy Hill. Now, again, from reading his son Justin's book, um, I know for a fact Billy Hill lived in Barnes. So did Chick. Now, it's not uncommon that the two of them would not have probably come into contact with each other. Uh, bear in mind Chick's muscular build, the close proximity as to where they lived, probably less than half a mile away. Um, Chick's prowess as a doorman. Uh, and you sort of start to piece things together. Again, from association at the Astor Club, one of the well-known guests that used to frequent the place was Princess Margaret. And uh, obviously she later married uh, Anthony Armstrong Jones, who became the Earl of Snowden. From research again, we've managed to find that Armstrong Jones originally worked for Billy Hill as a runner. Uh, on the Greyhound tracks, placing bets. Again, something that's referred to in Eddie's book. Now, roll forward to the mid-60s. One of Chick's security jobs that he has is working at Kensington Palace in one of the sentry boxes as security. And nobody knows how Chick got that job, all right? He's ex-army and he's a doorman, but that's it. Now, you just join the dots of what I've told you there with regards to the connections. 
and you've got a nice little bit of jigsaw puzzle all slotting together there. You see where I'm going? Very, very much so, yeah. And you sort of think, well, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. And it's something for the, the reader to sort of discuss and think about for themselves. But it certainly left me thinking um, there's probably more than smoke <laughs> to that story, shall we say. Just because of the, the connections that there are there. Um, and obviously, like I say, later on where, where, where Chick works. And the, there's rumours that there's another incident that takes place outside Kensington Palace, um, which, will, which will be in the book, which I'm trying to prove at the moment, trying to get to the bottom of. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just been uh, it's, it's, a fascinating it's clearly style. A labor, it's clearly a labour of love. I mean, for me, it's, yeah. it's very rare that I would ha have very little to say in, in an interview, but... <laughs> Because you tell the story so well, it, it, it feels rude to interrupt you. And there's a passion, there's a passion there for you, for, for this. Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, this, this book sounds fantastic. And Chick sounds like one hell of a character. And, you know, you've, you. you've covered everything there. I just want to dip back to the, you know, the, the tales of a page, you know, my life at yeah. Dorchester. Because it's about your dad, yeah. who you said yeah. to sadly a few years ago um yeah obviously i've read that book it's a fascinating insight into it um you know do you want to do you want to tell a couple of stories you know about the people that your dad met there because i mean it's, yeah I mean, it's one of those things you know we all go to hotels at some point we all you know maybe maybe we don't all stay at hotels where you get your bags carried in for you etc but there's always something <laughs> there uh, on the door at these hotels and, and yeah. walk past them and, and sometimes you know if, if if we're just going out and about we'll probably say hi and, and goodbye to them and that's about it but you know sure. tell, tell us a little bit about that book as well yeah sure so dad um what had happened and how literally dad uh, dad got the job uh his mum chick sister uh sadly passed away and dad and his father uh, were the only two left at home. Um, Dad was at Hammersmith Arts College at the, at the time. He was on a scholarship. And uh, he, was, he was a very, very uh, prolific artist. He probably would have gone on to, to be something, I think, in the, in the, the art world. He was, he was that good. Um, but sadly, uh, Dad's father said, uh, sorry, sorry, Dick, he said, um, you're going to have to go out and earn your keep, basically, you know, I can't afford to sort of keep us both at, at home and whatever. Um, so unfortunately, at the age of 15, uh, Dad had to sort of think about what he, what he wanted to do, how he would get a job and whatever. And one of his pals um, who lived in the, the council flats uh, next door, said oh come on Dickie he said uh, I'm, I'm at the Dorchester he was also a, a page uh, he said uh, you come up there and uh, he said I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get you in there so dad went up and there was a gentleman by the name of Mr Sims uh, I believe it was who was effectively like the sort of uh, general manager of, of, the, uh, of the lobby in the, the hotel area you know front of house sort of thing um, and he he gave dad literally an interview on the spot um, 
and so you know 1949 um, dad starts work work at the Dorchester as a page and the pages were the the young boys who you'd often see uh, maybe in old snippets or pictures or, or films where they're, they're running around with a board saying telegram, telegram or helping to carry the luggage for the, for the guests and whatever uh, at, the, at the time. So that was sort of part of, of, of dad's duties. Um, because of his build at the time as, as well, what used to happen is when you went up and took... Uh, on the role of a page you you basically had somebody else's uniform somebody who moved on or you know who, who left or, or whatever uh, so you know you, you had the hand-me-down because of dad's size um, it was quite slight in stature at the, at the time you had to have a, a uniform tailor-made for him so he had to go to one of the top tailors in Regent Street and have a have a fantastic tailor-made uniform specifically for him, for him, which was obviously he thought was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going through the hotel at, at this period in time, you've got a lot of the major film stars and sports stars. So, as mentioned in the book, we've got the likes of uh, Cesar Romero, who was the Joker in the sixties. Batman starred in the original Ocean's Eleven with. Uh, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford, another guy that that, that stayed there, that's mentioned in the book. The uh, the one sort of, I suppose the the guests that, that form quite an interesting uh, tale in the book is the the Bogart and Bacalls. Um, they're they're there at the time. I think Humphrey Bogart is is filming the African Queen. Some scenes from the African Queen. Uh, down in, in in London, so they're over for quite a considerable time, and part of the pages' duties is to not only look after the look after them, but also look after the. I think the young boy was was there. I think it's uh, Stephen who's his name. Um, so they've got to look after them as as well. So I think they're over there for a good few good few months you know um filming and going out and being taken care of etc so the pages have like a, a double shift so they they work early morning through till mid-afternoon and then mid-afternoon through to the evening so whoever's doing it will will do that sort of double double shift uh, so there's probably about seven or eight pages at, at that time dad is sort of seen as like the head um, boy if you like for when somebody comes to the end of their visit so to go up and you know see what what they're going to get you know basically as a reward for looking after them and what normally happens is the guests would phone down and say can you send one of the pages up we've got something to say thank you on this occasion Humphrey Bogart phones down can you send one of the pages up so all the pages go go on Dickie you go up you go up and uh, you know well, we're all we're all waiting to see what what we're going to get you know of course obviously the tips at the time were effectively what they were what they were living on uh, my dad tells a, a tale again in the book where basically he's living off his tips he puts his wages every week in the envelope that they came in in the in his bedside drawer he doesn't touch them he's living off the he's living off the tips that he's getting such are the fantastic tips so of course you're thinking, 
Bogart and Bacall, oh yeah, it's going to be, you know, loads of dollars and whatever, you know. So anyway, Bogart opens the door. Oh, come in, Dickie. Yep, thanks very much for looking after us. There's something over there on the table for you, which is a big wooden box. So of course, Daddy's thinking, whoa, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be something, something big, something we, you know, we, we're going to all share and enjoy, you know. Thinking, obviously, money. So, says, thank you, you know, look forward to seeing you again, etc. Departs, gets back in the lift. Whilst he's in the lift, obviously his curiosity gets the better of him. And prior to going up there, he'd actually, for whatever reason, he'd emptied his pockets of all of his tips of the day and put them in his overcoat ready to go home. So anyway, curiosity's got the better of him. He opens up the box. What's inside the box? Loads and loads of Hershey chocolate bars. <laughs> no money, just Hershey chocolate. So, of course, going through his mind, he's thinking, shit, they're going to kill me. <laughs> when I get back down, they're not going to believe me. No way are they going to believe me. They're going to think I've, I've had all the money. Which, of course, is what happens. He gets back down there. So, of course, all the lads are all running around, you know, whoa, what we got, Dickie? What you got for us? How much is it? You know, how much are we all going to get? And he don't say a word. He puts the box on the table on there. Also, I'm wondering why he's looking a bit sheepish, you know. They go up, open the box, of course, chocolates, flipping, oh, loads of expletives come out, as you can imagine. So yeah. they grab my dad, tip him upside down, thinking, obviously, he's got, you know, where's the money, Scotty? Where's it all gone? You know, shaking him up. And of course, like, like I said, luckily, he'd emptied all his pockets out of his tips, so nothing come out. So although they were a bit disheartened, uh, they, they believed him that uh you know that was that was the case but uh yeah that was what that was one of the uh one of the incidents that happened whilst he was there it's brilliant so honestly andy i can speak you all day about these two books i mean it's it's fascinating and it's clear as i say it will be to people watching this that uh you've got so much passion and you know tremendous effort as well in in, in getting chick recognized getting back to getting back to chick's story it's thank you story it does deserve to be you know be made into a film and dramatized and he definitely deserves to be recognized as a hero because yeah he clearly is you know and uh just thank the lord that when uh, your dad took that job at the dorchester Ch uh, dorchester chick wasn't the person who was passing down the uniform otherwise he would have been <laughs> 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 Indeed. yeah I mean, that, that photograph, that, that photograph, I, I bet doesn't even do him justice, you know, but uh, it's a great, it's great days of yesteryear. And I think, um, you know, yeah. we hear so much about, we hear so much about the crime and the criminals and you've mentioned them already. They're already part of this group, you know, the, the likes of Billy Hill and Frankie Fraser and the Craze and, and, and all of those clubs and, and, and the, the, the nightlife down in Soho. It was all part and parcel of it when celebrities and gangsters went hand in hand and it's, uh, yeah. A fascinating period, and I think anyone who's interested in that will thoroughly enjoy either of those books that you've written because it captures a certain time in in London, and uh, it captures a yeah. certain time in in our history, and it's uh, it's a bygone era now, 
but it's a one that, that deserves to be remembered and, and not to be forgotten. So uh, where can people buy the books, Andy? Where can people get in touch with you, um, you know, to, 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 to get a hold of these books? Sure. So Tales of a Page is actually available on eBay at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, London's Lovable Villain. Again, I'm going to go down the self-publishing route, but having seen other books that have come out um, that have gone down a far more wider outlet, which is the Amazon route, um, that is what I'll be doing with London's Lovable Villain. Uh, So that is where, once that's done, fingers crossed that should be in the next month or so in terms of completion and then through to publication. Unless, of course... Any publisher is watching this that wants to get in touch with me, uh, you know, that is that is where it will it will be available. Um, I'll be putting stuff out. There's a, there's various wrestling heritage sites, and obviously I'll be sending stuff through to the likes of yourself just to uh, announce when it when it is available. So I think it's it's very much going to be a, a case of watch this space. Uh, with regards to the launch date for London's Lovable Villain, Steve. Um, what I might do is get a, a website set up for it um, or piggyback on, like I say, one of the wrestling heritage sites. And, you know, I'll, like I say, I'll, I'll send details uh, through with regards to that. Um, like I say, Tales of a Page, it's up on eBay at the moment. If people uh, tap in Tales of a Page, my working life at the Dorchester, it'll pop up um, and that's available for five pounds. Um, yeah, we're, it's just the thing that's taken a time, obviously COVID has had an effect on places being shut down and access to files and things taking a lot longer to come through in terms of like certificates, in terms of birth and death. And then obviously the service records, etc. Service record was, I'd say we're still actually waiting for, unfortunately. Um, and then the fight history, like I say, we've got 26 years of fight history that I've had to go through. So the wrestling historians have been fantastic that have provided me with that access or helped me in terms of, you know, double checking, um, because we got so many different venues across the country, um, that we've had to check and I'm only going through either the little snippets and like I say, little, they are little that are on the wrestling sites, the vast majority I've found through newspaper records, etc. Um, and then these history guys have, have been very kind and come through and provided some more. Um, and as a result of me getting in contact with them, we knew it was happening, but last night we had the official confirmation um, and a PDF for the certificate come through. But last night, and I can now officially say that Chick on the 9th of August this year is being posthumously inducted into British Wrestlers Reunion Legends Hall of Fame. Brilliant. Um, So, again, you know, that's another major plus um, for for him, you know, in terms of recognition. Because like I say, the... The guys that were around at that time, um, one of the guys that he comes up in contention with, not only 
in the ring, but obviously they mix together outside the ring. There's a guy called Bert Azarati, and this guy's a tank and and bigger than chick. Um, and the two of them have got the connection again with Diana Dawes, who who pops up. There's there's um there's a film again where you know she's obviously got some connections to the wrestling world with regards to her friendships and the people that she mixes with in her in her early film career. Um, I think it's a, a kid for two farthings is one of the films. Um, there's a guy in there called Primo Carnera, uh, who's a big, big fighter, huge, great guy, massive. Uh, that again, chicks comes up against in the in the ring, and going through the um, the flyers at the at the time, obviously the that's where the name London's lovable villain comes from because apparently he was either Chick was like Marmite. You either loved him or loathed him, which I think for judging from some of the, the newspaper comments, I think most of the audience hated him. Uh, but uh, You've got to have someone uh, to do. Oh, definitely. And, that, and that's what happened. That's what happened, Steve. Um, apparently the, the cry up in Newcastle from a fan who's got in touch through a piece that was in the Daily Mail place where Chick used to fight up in Newcastle was either James's uh, Hall. Exactly. Yep. And the opposite the football ground, but um the where the strawberry is at the Gallagher end, it was literally next door to that. Right, right. So on many occasions um he fought up there. Uh my cousin Iris actually lived up there uh for a good while. And uh, whenever he came in the ring up in Newcastle, the crowd used to cheer, uh, chant, dirty chick, dirty chick. <laughs> quite, often, quite often in, in some of the reports, he'd either be disqualified, uh, chuck his opponent at the ring, or chuck the ref at the ring, or chuck both of them at the ring. Brilliant. Um, you know, again, such was, uh, such was, his, uh, such was his, his fighting uh, sort of side, you know. And he, he, he gets referred to as Killer Cockney or uh, the toughest, one of them is the toughest man ever to enter the ring. Mm. And, you know, Chick doesn't, need, doesn't know when he's beaten and hardly ever needs to. Now, he does get beat on quite a few occasions, actually, but uh, it's just like, you know, to have those tags around with you, you, you've got to have quite a legendary status, you know, quite, quite a, well, not only a build, but obviously that's got to be backed up. And, um, and like I say, in the, in the, the newspaper report of the, uh, of the fight that takes place in Soho, you, you can quite see how, um, you know, and again, going back to the door work, we, we, we found, it's actually quoted in there that uh, Chick was earning four pound a night as a doorman. Uh, this is 1959. Now the average weekly wage then was seven pound a week. So you work out how many times Chick is probably working on the door. And obviously given the publicity that you would have attained from that article, yeah. I would imagine quite a bit. Um, you know, he's making quite a decent sum uh, around that time. And obviously they're going to, whoever it is that's paying him, 
he's going to be paying him a, a, a decent amount to do a good job and obviously that's that's what he that's what he's done um so yeah so you know there's all these different things that will form um hopefully a really decent book um well it's fascinating it's been a fascinating hour listening to you reminiscing yeah. and um you know to listen to the stories about your dad and but and check is it, it's great and i'm sure that uh the audience who watch my podcast will be thoroughly interested in that. Hopefully it gets you a few more followers. You, you're on Twitter, Andy. What's your, what's your Twitter? I am. Yep. So, so it's Andy Sco, S-C-O. I think it's 6257. People will find me. If they, if they tap in on Twitter, Chick Night, my feed will come up. Definitely, yeah. well, <laughs> and quite a few, quite a few pictures of chick as well. <laughs> anybody, anybody wants to, anybody wants to check out if they have difficulty finding you. I've retweeted a couple of the uh, the posts today, so uh, yeah. it will be lovely. That. And uh, and there's a link on there's a link on the feed uh, for the eBay uh, to be able to purchase a copy of Tales of a Page as well. And obviously, once London's Lovable Villain is up, obviously, like I say, if it goes on the the I do the Amazon route. Um, that'll be posted up as well. So people can follow me and the petition is on there as well. Uh, so people can sign the petition with, as of this morning, I think we're up to around 210 signatures and growing. Um, so we want to get that up to quite a significant number. We've been in touch with Hammersmith council. We're waiting to hear what they've got to say uh, to obviously get chick or plaque on the bridge. So fingers crossed about that. And that'll put a nice seal on, you know, another, another chapter in that in that in that book we actually managed to trace funny enough the soldier that he saved out in gibraltar um uh e De, private e durant edward durant i spoke to his son who's 90 years old who didn't know that his dad had been in gibraltar he knew he'd been in the services and we actually found uh his career and what he went on to uh, attain in in the services obviously from chick saving his life um so yeah so that was fascinating to be able to to find him and talk to him you know somebody who, who may well not have been here but for chick yeah you know? so amazing that's incredible the, that's the beauty of history and once you get into Indeed. it and you start researching these things and you, you get a chance to meet the people. It uh, doesn't matter what walk of life they've, they've come from or they're involved in. That's what makes it fascinating. And uh, yeah. best, best of luck with it, mate. It sounds, it Thank sounds you. brilliant. I'm hoping that people uh, watching this will, will check out your social media and find out a little bit more about the books. But uh, for now, Andy Scott, thanks very much. Good luck. Cheers, Steve. Much appreciated. Nice to talk to you. Thanks again. Uh,